This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you. Face gems, believe it or not. White gold, Electrum. If you've never heard of Electrum, that's a good one. Rhodochrosite, Nevada mining, and so much more. First thing I found was a geocrystals, quartz with no clouds. Agate was hot and the ground was hard, but the gems were there to be found. See, I've been through the desert, found a rock of no name, felt good to have in my hand. In the desert, you can find lots of rocks, cause radical rocks are everywhere. That's right. Radical rocks are everywhere. And today we're going to be talking about a family that discovers a very ancient skull. And uh, we're going to talk about white gold in nature. Not white gold like jewelry white gold, but natural white gold. We'll talk about electrum, giant tortoise, glowing fossils, rhodochrosite, um, little information on Nevada gems, and so much more. So let's get right into it without any further ado. Whoops, sorry about that. Lost my recording device. Um, want to thank you guys as it gets close to the holidays and everything um, for taking the time to like and subscribe on the podcast. If you look up Radical Rocks, or sometimes it's Radical Rocks USA, you'll find us on most social medias and um, Facebook, MeWe. we got a real big presence on MeWe. And uh, we've got uh, 50-some-odd videos on YouTube, which includes rock-hounding trips, silversmithing, cutting geodes, uh, lapidary, cabochon making, some specialty techniques that you might need in the lapidary shop, and a whole lot more. So uh, check all those things out. Get uh, hooked up. We'd love to talk to you. We're very involved. We try to get back with everybody that's on there. And um, that's it. So let's get right into it. Um, first of all, Nevada. At, uh, at accesswire.com, we're told about Travel Nevada at travelnevada.com, and they say that uh, Nevada here is celebrating National Miners Day. So National Miners Day is a state kind of holiday for Nevada, and they are unveiling a downloadable guide designed to help aspiring and established rock hounders and gem collectors to discover and mine for their own precious rocks, minerals, gems uh, that are found in the state. And then um, they talk about another on the hunt, a guide to rock hounding in Nevada provides entry-level information on respectful rock hounding as well as trips, tools needed, maps, and resources for gem identification. So nobody that I talk about today, I'm not, I'm not uh, recommending them. Um, they're not a sponsor of the show or anything. This is just information that uh, I found and I filtered through literally hundreds and hundreds of websites and emails that I get and things like that. And I filtered through that to try to pick out the most interesting information to share with my audience that is a little bit diverse. So if you want something different, let me know. You can reach out through the podcast. They have a way that you can interact or you can join our social medias and interact. Let me know what you'd like to see. 
Let me know what you're doing. Um, get involved, and uh, we'd love to. We'd love to have your input in the shows that we do. So Nevada here has nicknamed the Silver State because it has America's largest silver deposit. You've probably heard about it, the Comstock Load. That was found in 1859, and they found over $300 million worth of silver. And um, that's probably like at the time, which now would be worth a lot, lot more because you remember silver dollar was about an ounce, and that was worth about a dollar. And now... Uh, ounce of silver. I don't know. I haven't checked it in a while, but it's probably floating somewhere around nineteen, twenty dollars, somewhere around there. I haven't haven't looked, but uh, anyway, Nevada is the largest gold producing uh, state in the U.S. and the fourth in the world. A lot of people don't know that. Eighty um, percent of the public lands. Uh, there's like seventy something percent of the state of Nevada is controlled by the federal government. Um, I like to say controlled because the federal government isn't supposed to own land in the United States. According to the Constitution, they can only own um, a certain amount and they can only use it for certain purposes like military bases and so much for building and things like that. So I like to say it's controlled. Um, it's really state lands. The states should take control of those in my opinion. But anyway, uh, either way to go, they are open, uh, some of these areas, you got to check on them, for prospecting. As long as it's not claimed, as long as it's not a wilderness uh, area, as long as it's not limited. Here in this article, it says Nevada, Travel Nevada has developed this guide to help you strike for gold or other precious stones at some of the state's most gem-filled locations. One of them's called gem-filled. Another one is Garnet Hill, Royal Peacock Opal Mine, Bonanza Opal Mines. Now, I recognize some of these names. These are pay-to-mine places. Uh, the Peacock and the Bonanza. So uh, I don't know that there's an area you can actually go without paying, but maybe you could go around the foothills of these areas and look. But if you want to download the guide and check that out, um, that's that's entirely up to you. And uh, this is part of the Nevada Division of Tourism, and it's part of the Nevada Department of Tourism and Cultural Affairs. They're responsible for promoting and marketing Nevada as a travel destination. So they see the value in rock hounding and things like that. And if you want to email Tracy Barnthouse, B-A-R-N-T-H-O-U-S-E, you can email her at travelnevada at F-A-H-L-G-R-E-N dot com. All right, moving on. Moving on, I want to talk about a beautiful necklace that was found. This 1,300-year-old gold coin necklace with jewels was unearthed in New Hampshire, uh, excuse me, North uh, Hamptonshire in, in England, who probably belonged to an early Christian woman leader. So this is very rare that they find things that are associated with early Christian women uh, leaders at that time, because, you know, a lot of them were burned at the stake, and that was a rough time to be a leader. But uh, this 1,300-year-old necklace, you can find out about it at the New York Times, nytimes.com. And uh, it says the picture's credited to Hugh Gat Mala, and um, that's the only name I see on... Oh. Uh, and the article's by Michael uh, Levinson. 
And he says that this necklace was discovered in an ancient grave site, may have belonged to a woman who was an early Christian leader, according to experts involved in the discovery. This uh, North Hamptonshire was discovered during April excavations where a planned housing development was to be put, and um, they found it. Um, it says, uh, investigation on behalf of the housing developer, the Vistry Group. 30 pennants and beads once formed the elaborate necklace. They were made from Roman coins, gold, garnets, glass, and semi-precious stones. The, semi, the centerpiece of the necklace is a rectangular pennant with a cross motif that was among the artifacts that were discovered. They said when the first glints of gold started to emerge from the soil, they knew they had something significant. Um, the supervisor at the Museum of London Archaeology led a team of five who made the discovery and said, however, we didn't quite realize how special this was going to be. Um, this is right about dead center of England, um, where this location was. It looks like north, uh, I guess that'd be northwest of London and uh, about due east of uh, Wales. So pretty cool. They x-rayed the soil um, to before they did it. There wasn't really, <laughs> there was, there was uh, on that cross was, Unusual depictions of human faces cast in silver, the statement said. They're investigating the soil all around, and they say that uh, what they're seeing here indicates that this woman might have been an early Christian leader, um, an, an abbess or royalty or both, and the site also contained two decorative pots and a shallow copper dish. They've got pictures of it here on this website. The skeleton was almost completely decomposed with only fragments of enamel from the teeth remaining. So they can't really tell a lot unless they have like teeth or some bones and stuff. So, um, but it's obvious this was a, a female. They're almost certain that it was a female because of uh, just the style and the evidence of a female Sacton church leader perhaps one of the first in this region, said Helen Bond, a professor of Christian origins uh, who heads the School of Divinity at the University of uh, Edinburgh in Scotland, wrote in an email. So these type of graves and treasures are very rare. There's very few. The necklace provides material evidence that helps uh, to support their assumptions about who actually influenced and had authority in this area at that time. So pretty cool. There's a lot more on the article if you want to read more about it. Um, those are the main highlights, so go check that out if that's something you are interested in. How about glowing fossils? Glowing fossils. We've talked about opalized fossils. We've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, at... Uh, S-C-I, SciTech Daily, S-C-I-T-E-C-H Daily.com. You can read about glowing fossils, fluorescent color patterns found in 240 million year old shells. Of course, they're just uh, wild guesstimating the ages on these. But according to this, this comes from the University of uh, Göttingen. And um, there's a picture right on the front of this fossilized shell 
where the orange is uh, slightly iridescent. And they say um, that uh, the UV light allows you to see the intricate structures in the fossils that would be impossible to observe with normal light. And um, they said that these are very, very old. This makes them the oldest fluorescent color patterns discovered so far. So apparently fluorescent uh, type shells are found. These just, they are claiming are the oldest. Like I said, nobody ever says, oh, ours are the newest, youngest. It's always the oldest, um, pretty much. 95, 99% of the time, somewhere in between there. It says the uh, color uh, patterns preserved uh, much more often uh, and UV light, which is undetectable to the human eye, excites organic compounds in the fossils, causing them to glow. Surprising variety of patterns, including many kinds of stripes, zigzags, flame patterns, diversity of color, and patterns is comparable to that of modern seashells seen at the beach, they say. And um, the article uh, goes on if you want to read more about it. Um, Pretty cool, some beautiful pictures of these shells, most of them kind of orangish or yellow um, highlights that uh, are fluorescing. Now, Morocco announces the discovery of a Atlas fossil lion in, uh, I'm not sure how to say the name of this, uh, Estoria, I'm probably saying it wrong, but in MoroccoWorldNews.com, you can read about this, Safa Kasraoui, is the one who writes about this and tells us about this. Uh, it's just one little small fossil. <laughs> Guy's got it in the palm of his hand. It, uh, the bone is a little bit thicker than your finger at the thinnest part and uh, about as thick as your thumb probably. If you're a, you know, a six foot man with normal size, large size hands, I guess comparing it to myself and then um, the thicker part at the base is a little bit thicker but they say that uh, uh, the University of Arizona and France uh, Axa Marcelli universities made the discovery at this at this particular spot it is an ancient atlas lion uh, that now is extinct and roamed across different parts over there in that area. This is the first time uh, that they found one in this area. And um, they said that it's known that the Bismonth Cave in Essoria enabled experts to make many findings that had an impact on ancient history of Morocco, but also on the history of mankind. I mean, they just Morocco has so many beautiful gemstones and fossils that uh, have been coming out of it but uh, yeah they found some of the oldest jewelry in this cave that dates back thousands of years and now they found this uh, this part of this cave lion bone so maybe they'll find more who knows it's kind of red the color of it it's fossilized kind of a red with these black highlights so it's kind of cool um, yeah I could see a rock hound just going oh yeah let's cut it up and see what it looks like so be careel uh, what you're cutting up, you might you might have bumped into a really rare gemstone, you know, not just a, a chunk of uh, random dino bone. Three opal gemstone secrets you never knew. Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. I don't know. At editorial ge editorialge.com, we are told by the Lifestyle Desk 
that they have three secrets here. So as I look through it, um, one of them is the mystery of the opal, the mysterious birth. Some people said that it, uh, you know, was born with volcanoes. Um, it has been around, you know, since the beginning of time. It formed from ancient oceans is uh, what they believe underwater. Um, some people believe it, it forms when lightning strikes. I, that's not true. Some uh, say volcanoes cause it when they flow over the top of certain areas. That, that might contribute. That could be. Um, opals resemble volcanoes and paintings made with multiple hues. For centuries, the gemstones have been shrouded in legend. In the Middle Ages, it was thought wearing an opal would bring luck to the wearer. And uh, in modern times, opals said to be bad luck because they break so often. In, after uh, 1850 in Australia, where most opal is mined, um, they started just digging for it like crazy. And there's all kinds of holes over there in Australia. Some of them you can actually rent out underground. Pretty neat. Um, opals are called the queen of gemstones. And that's because of their beautiful color. Um, they reflect off the tiny silica spheres and, uh, that are trapped inside uh, with water. And vivid rainbow flashes, microscopic, uh, that is, of the water. They have vivid rainbow flashes, every spectrum of the rainbow, basically, uh, if you get a good one. And Romans believed the stone had magical powers and could protect the wearer from harm. They believed that wearing an opal would prevent you from being poisoned or attacked by wild animals and continued to be the belief for many, many years. And uh, it took gemologists until the 19th century to discover that opal is not a stone, but a form of silica. Now, one fact is Australia produces the majority of opals in the world. They produce 95% of the opals from a town called uh, Cobber Petty in South Australia, and they've been doing that for almost uh, a long, long time, okay? And they feel that these were developed under the seas. Um, what makes opals so popular? Um, again, you can buy opals affordably. Some of them are not outrageous, not like diamonds, but I think they're probably rarer than diamonds, at least gemstone quality. Um, very hard to cut them, and uh, you got to follow the seam. I just did a... I'm, I'm doing a video on opal right now. I haven't completed it, actually. But I did cut some uh, Peruvian blue opal, but I'm working on some fire opal right now. So keep, keep your eye out on our YouTube video. I'll probably have that out in a week or two. So um, that's it for opals. A giant sea turtle, we talked about this a week or two ago. This thing is as big as a rhino. It was discovered in Spain, which they really don't discover a lot of uh, giant sea turtles there. But mymodernmet.com, we're told by Madeline uh, Muzdekis about this giant turtle that was uh, over 12 feet long, maybe even up to 15 feet long, and... Uh, 13 foot, according to this article, from head to toe, and uh, that is massive. They have not found these giant type turtles over in Spain in this area, so this is kind of a new discovery. They're very excited about it, and um, pretty cool if you want to check that out. I would like to ride a giant 
sea turtle. All right, um, there's a family of fossil hunters that uh, actually uncovered a beautiful skull of, uh, of a plesiosaur fossil. Uh, this is in Australia. It's Australia's first complete uh, plesiosaur fossil head and body intact. Um, but they dug up this site uh, and got the head, but uh, they continued, probably experts, yeah, some other people came in on the dig, continued to dig out in the outback Queensland. You can read about this at abc.net.au. And uh, Rochelle Merritt tells us all about it. Uh, there's a picture of the two ladies there together. They're sisters, Cassandra Prince and Cynthia Nick. Nicholas, or Nichols, um, discovered that fossil skull. It's got all the teeth and everything. It's real cool. Both of them are holding it together with their hands. So the skull itself looks like it's over a foot long. Pretty amazing. Uh, they continue to dig more of the fossils, and um, they've the whole thing is there. So pretty cool. Pretty lengthy article if you want to read all about it. Um, they talk about other towns, dinosaur trail. And um, people who are digging up uh, some of the fish and turtles and large marine reptiles that are in this area. And someone could literally discover something every day, they say, in this, in this uh, particular spot here. So they're all laying around. They have a whole a bunch of pe pe people laying around this uh, plesiosaurus. Looks like a kind of like a giant crocodile with flippers. And this thing is probably whew, four five times taller than a person or longer if you were laying down. So it looks like it's a good uh, 15, 20 feet. Nicknamed Little Prince after Cassandra's last name, the newly discovered plesiosaur measures six meters in length. So we're looking at about 18, 20 feet there. Pretty cool, pretty neat, pretty exciting if you want to find out about that. All right, how to make face crystals and gems stay in place once and for all. So this is a thing. Um, I don't know if I talked about this before. Every once in a while I talk about weird weird things with jewelry people do. Um, but a lot of uh, stars, uh, singers, and others are gluing these gemstones below their eyebrow or on their eyelid or above their eyes or on their head or around their ear or on their face. And... Um, if that's something you're into, gluing gemstones or uh, these uh, crystals to your face, uh, it does look quite glamorous. I, I could see that it would be fun for a young woman, a young lady to do that. Um, some of them are, look like teardrops and bubbles. That can be amazing, I guess. Um, some of them look like uh, they're doing a, a video that you probably sh shouldn't let your kids watch. But... Um, they glue them to their face using adhesives. Now, the adhesives, I'm not going to spend much time on this. Um, you need to make sure your skin is very clean. And um, there's something called spirit glue. This is used in the, been used in the film uh, industry for a long time. And um, there's different types, and they recommend what type you can use here. Um, spirit gum, they call it. And they use it to put, like, when you see the monster, people look like monsters, and they make those rubber pieces to glue on their face 
they use this spirit gum to do that because it can keep that on there for a long time. I know sometimes you see these Hollywood actors um, that have done parts in movies where they don't even look like a human and or they look like, you know, they're maybe 20 years old and they look like they're 100 years old and they look legit um, and they spend hours and hours and hours gluing this stuff on their face and blending it with makeup and stuff. So uh, these type of uh, things are a lot easier to do uh, with with this uh, this gum glue. So if you want to find out about that, go to glam.com and Mary Woe Chick will tell you all about it. And uh, so there you go, ladies. All right, um, next. I love, we've got, coming up, we've got Road Night and we've got Gold Mining. What do we do first? Um, I think I'll save the gold mining for last. Let's get into the rhodonite. Um, how rare is rhodonite? Our friends at Rock and Jim go to Rock, the letter N, and Jim, and you can subscribe to their emails. I definitely recommend you get their magazine. Not a sponsor of the show, but nonetheless, a great magazine. They will send you emails. You can find out all this stuff. Um, you can get more information. They've got several articles on Rota, uh, Rotocrosite. If you love this gym like I do, uh, I first came across it in the early 2000s. A gentleman came from uh, Argentina. He had the Rotocrosite with um, probably a calcium carbonic or, or calcium, something like that, where it was in layers. It would be pink and then white pink and then white, kind of like uh, like laced layers, right? Very pretty, very popular, shines up halfway decent uh, if you find some that's not too pitted, but uh, it's soft, it, it's easy to work with. But this rhodochrosite that they're talking about, these are the crystals in its purest form when it's mined out of the ground, not after it's leached out and mixed with these... Uh, you know, calciums and carbonics and stuff like that, when it's just in its pure form. These are very collectible. One example is the Alma Rose from the Sweet Home Mine in Colorado. Now, you can get that banded type there, but also they have got these cubicle cubes that have formed on top of other minerals, and they are quite beautiful. Um, the Rhodochrosite Royalty is what they call it. Uh, that can be seen displayed at the Rice Northwest Gym and Mineral Museum in Hillsborough, Oregon. So if you want to see some really fine specimens of rhodochrosite, that's where you want to go if you're in the U.S. Um, unlike this one specimen, the king, a single large rhodochrosite crystal, the Alma Rose is blessed with a cluster of sharp three-inch ROMs of very fine color interlocked to form a grouping of crystals some six inches across. So these are big crystals. Each rhodochrosite is an individual and sharp enough so that it can be enjoyed. Yet the cluster is undamaged in position, so it is a wonderful example of the rhombic form of this mag magnanese carbonite. Um, on the cluster of crystals, if that wasn't enough, a single rhodochrosite rom 
of matching size and color sits nearby. It's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful specimens that you can look at here if you want to look this up. Very, very hard to find these monsters. They're very, very expensive. Even little tiny crystals, um, you know, eighth inch. You probably, for a nice specimen of that sitting on its uh, matrix, uh, you know, with the what it sits on, you are probably going to spend probably $100, $200 or more. For these big giant jumbos, I mean, yeah, they're going to bid for thousands, um, maybe more. So, like, as, as in tens of thousands. I don't know about hundreds of thousands, but definitely very expensive. Um, maybe the top ones, maybe. Delicate digging. You cannot just blow up the rock and get these beauties out of there. You know, this is a fragile specimen. It will break. Um, but tools that are used are chisels, pry bars, wedges. Um, you got to be careful if you're going to find this stuff. If you're going to dig it up, you got to be careful. Today, modern tools, the removal of the Alma King and Alma Rose was accomplished without serious damage to any exposed crystals. The Alma Rose was on a solid rock wall, one side of the crystal vein. So when they find a beauty like this, they're going to take the time to drill all around it. They're going to protect it. They're going to, they're going to, you know, be conscientious of the vibration that could affect the, the crystal that is on the rock. Sometimes they even put a material over it that can be washed off or neutralized later without hurting the gemstone or the, the, you know, the collectible minerals they put over it um, to hold the crystal in place. So it, it's very, very tricky. You know, you can't just go in there and, and, and slam and bang and hammer. Um, it's got to be very slow and all around it. And um, yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy. So says here, for the Alma Rose, drilling had to start well away from the open vein which was first discovered to protect it. Holes were drilled all around the wall section encircling the open vein. These served as a guide for the diamond saws to cut deeply into the rock wall. Slowly the cut openings would be wedged open and more cutting was done to get behind the vein. Once the entire vein section had been undercut, it was broken loose from the wall with its still intact crystal. It could be carefully removed and taken to the specimen prepar prepar preparation lab at the collector's edge where trimming excess rock was done slowly, probably with like, you know, uh, super, super powerful, large Dremel type cutting, you know, or water cutting, something like that, um, where they would, again, protect the crystals from, from any damage and uh, get it where, where the crystal could be seen just on a small background where the crystal could really pop and stand out. Amazing. Um, Bob Jones is credited with this original story. If you want to read more about it, you want to get all the details and read the articles, see the pictures, I recommend you go to Rock and Jim, look up how rare is rhodochrosite with a question mark, and you will see those pictures. Where is rhodochrosite found? Again, our friends at Rock and Jim tell us, well, it's found where it's found, right? We talked about one place, the Alma King, the Alma Rose, the Alma Queen, there in Colorado. A very famous place for its rhodochrosite. Um, some of the best uh, rhombic red crystals ever mined. And a lot of them reside in museums in Texas, Oregon, and Colorado. New mining projects that are found, um, aside from these in Colorado, uh, are around the world and 
I believe we will talk about some of these. Um, people are always looking around Colorado for more areas where they could maybe find some. Pockets of these rhodochrosite crystals uh, have been opened e even in more recent times, but man, they're going to be expensive. Um, it said uh, the Coloradans are always interested in mining projects as the sweet home began to bear fruit. It caught the attention of local TV stations in Denver and they filmed the work. While they were filming, a vein was open revealing bright red rhodochrosite on the walls. To their amazement, deep in the open vein sat a huge loose red crystal, a superb rhombic rhodochrosite crystal, the biggest crystal ever found in the mine. Wow. Um, so here it is, actually filmed. The giant crystal, uh, he took a hold of it with two fingers and carefully eased it out of the vein, unscathed. Wow. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. So you never know what you'll find. Again, Bob Jones is credited with this story as well. He's a great writer and a great rock hounder <clears throat> and a great resource. Um, I recommend you, you get hooked up with, uh, with all that. All right, let's talk about gold. <clears throat> I was looking at um, the Gold Rush Expeditions. Let me get a swig of coffee here. <clears throat> I'm still fighting my bronchitis, sorry. <clears throat> All right, let's get into the gold mining. The Gold Rush Expeditions. You can sign up for their emails. They also will send you out. It's been free of charge so far. <clears throat> a beautiful uh, magazine. The pages are thick. The colors are vivid. Um, the articles are interesting on the history of different gold mines and related topics. Um, and they're sending them, they've sent me three or four of them out free. I mean, how cool is that? These guys are really um, very generous. So I don't know how long they can do that, but boy, I sure appreciate it. Um, again, they don't sponsor the show or anything, but they've just proved to be a good resource, even though I've never bought a thing from them. Um, I'd love to buy one of their properties, but they sell properties, but they give a little bit of history. This is the King Midas Gold Mineral Property. It's in the Ore Blanc, uh, Blanco Mining District in Santa Cruz County in Arizona. It's near uh, Rio Rico, Arizona. And the King Midas property dates back to about 1850, if not older. And you can tell by the way the holes are dug on these old structures. They can tell sometimes by the timbers. But there are certain digging techniques that will give away the age of the mine. But what's interesting about this, in the Oro Blanco district, it's named for the raw white gold that's commonly found in the region. White gold. Not white gold like from the jewelry store. That white gold, you have white gold underneath a coating, okay? If you have not been familiar with white gold, real white gold is not especially pretty um, when it's on a ring, okay? It is not shiny. It's kind of... Uh, you know, if you've ever seen lead, right? Lead is kind of a gray. Well, it's kind of a white gray, right? And it's not shiny. What they do is they coat it. They use uh, like an electric negative positive. They put the ring in a liquid 
and then they coat it with this stuff. It's real slick. Um, it's not mercury, but it, it's kind of like it. It wears off, you know. It's it's it, it's more resilient than that, and um, that coats the ring and make gives it that nice shiny appearance. So everybody thinks white gold is nice and shiny. That's not true. That's a coating on the top of the white gold. This is real white gold. It was commonly found in the region. It's gold that is enriched with silver that gives the gold its distinctive color. Now, we're going to talk more about this. Um, this is an interesting topic, I think. Um, the gold is enriched with silver, which gives the gold its distinctive colors. They were locating deposits in the area in the 1850s that had long been worked by Mexicans or Spaniard miners way back when they came over to, you know, rape and pillage. Newer technologies such as dynamite and rock drills allowed miners an heir to uh, a time period, basically, to further develop the rudimentary mines that they found. Imagine just mining with picks and shovels and basically that's it. And now you've got dynamite. Now you can really go to town, right? Um, you've got black powder. You've got dynamite. King Midas was primarily a gold deposit that stretches a wide expanded band of weathered quartz and rhyolite. Largely flat terrain, but shafts have been cut along the quartz and audits have been cut into the canyon walls along the creek. There is usually a minimal flow during the creek. Um, gold and silver in the area has largely been separated in the past by arasters. If you don't know what an arraster is, this is just a round area, um, usually hard rock. Some of them are, are, are filled in with concrete where they would put the gold, uh, the ore, the they would go through the ore and they would look for the gold that the 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 ore that had more mineral deposits in it and then they would throw that in the arraster and have a big wheel it could be rock um, it could be a rock with a, a steel band over it and they crush it uh, down to powder as much as they could and then they could use heat or chemicals to separate the gold the value of white gold they say averages 10 times the average price of gold. Well, yeah, I don't know. Is that really true? People would just add silver to gold and then it would be worth 10 times as much. I think a natural specimen, yeah, okay, that's what they're saying. A specimen averages 10 times more than the average price of gold. And we're going to talk about that too. Why? So it says here a 1.1 pound Quartz specimen with an estimated 1.3 ounces of white gold from the King Midas property sold in 2020 at Denver Hard Rock Show for $26,000. Well, part of that is just that it came from a particular mine, but it, it, it had to be a beautiful, spectacular uh, specimen with some crystallized gold. And we're going to talk about that, too. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, substantial mine camp at the audit of King Midas has been demolished and removed. There has been some backfilled in one audit. Uh, there's a canyon west of the camp from the 1920s, an arraster and a section of exposed quartz veins that has not been worked. Probably not real rich is probably why they haven't worked it. Another road from the 1950s was cut through the ridge line. A series of shaft and an audit on a mineralized belt was uh, done. Raw, some raw gold can be found in the creek bed with minimal panning indicating there has been exposed deposits that have washed into the creek. Small-scale mining operation. Um, pretty cool. All right, so 
that's it. Um, if you want to check that out, they're selling that right now for, I usually don't say the price, but this is such a neat one. I think it, I don't want to say because I might get it wrong, but they got maps. Here it is. Just over $40,000 is what they're asking. All right. So this white gold, it comes back from times of antiquity. It's mentioned in the Bible. Um, one place it's called electrum. Electrum, naturally occurring, is very rare. Um, it could look white, but a lot of times it looks a light, light, light yellow. It, it, it almost looks like it emits its own light when you have a spectacular specimen of electra or electrum. Again, electrum is really what it, we would call natural white gold, okay? Um, in my opinion. Even though white gold now is jewelry gold, has nothing to do with the natural stuff that comes out of the mine. Has nothing to do with this stuff that we're saying is 10 times more valuable than regular gold. But some of the places that this electrum has been found is in Norway. There's a, a mine there. It looks like the Liby mine. In uh, Kongsberg, and uh, they have a spectacular piece of electrum here that is crystallized on a piece of white quartz. Another piece of electrum from Willow Creek Mining District, Pershing County, Nevada, in the United States. Beautiful specimen. Beautiful, beautiful specimen. Another piece of electrum from the Czech Republic. This one is crystals with triangular crystals on the side. Just crazy. Crazy looking. Um, beautiful. South Bohemia region, Czech Republic. The Kerpice gravel quarry. Probably saying that wrong. Um, also in Romania, in Alba County, at the Rosia Montana, which I'm probably, it's probably pronounced differently. There's another specimen um, of crystals, thick, heavy crystals stacked on top of thick, heavy crystal. Not long, elongated ones. These ones are, when you see gold crystallized, usually they're, they're long, they're thin with electrum. It's looking like they're usually thicker and um, shorter, but uh, very impressive, very impressive to have this type of uh, a mineral in your collection would be really, really cool. It says here about Electrum, it says mixed crystals containing about 35 to 45% AG, which uh, AU is gold, AG is silver, are called Electrum. They are almost pure white. Those of about 80% AG are designated with the rarely encountered name Custolite. I've never even heard of that. Custolite, 80% AG. Pale yellow to white, metallic, about 2.5 to 3 on the hardness scale. Uh, isometric crystal pattern comes from the Greek word uh, for amber, an allusion to its color. Uh, high silver bearing gold is pale yellow to nearly white on electrum. Some of the physical characteristics of it, uh, it's very malleable. Um, Lower density than pure gold, 
Um, despite its mandibility, electrum gold will break due to moderate bending, particularly when inclusions are, are present. I believe silver has a higher melting point than gold. So that would make it a little bit more uh, brittle in that sense and not as pliable as gold. Mixed crystals containing 35 to 50% AG are called electrum, almost pure white. This is kind of repetitive here. Um, let's see what else we have here to share with you. Um, they have other languages. What else? This is kind of repetitive. No fluorescing with UV, non-metallic. One of the best conductors of electricity known. Wow. Pretty cool. No health risk known with this mineral, uh, if it is just by itself, but other things are on there. You got to probably be careful. I don't know if it's around cinnabar, which is mercury, but you wouldn't want to, uh, you wouldn't want to risk it. So I'm looking here at locations where it is found on the map. I'm at mindat.org. You look up Electrum, you will find out all about this. I see locations in the U.S. on the West Coast. I see some uh, north of Florida. I see some up in Canada. Uh, looks like they're Norway, um, South America, around different countries in South America, Africa, certain countries. Um, seems to be more around the edges of the country. Um, looks like New Zealand, Australia, um, in, in the Asia, in the Middle East, Russia. Yeah, all over the world, there's locations where Electrum has been found, as rare as it is, as rare as it is. I really think this is a, a beautiful specimen. I guess if I were to have my dream, I would, uh, I would want to be able to uh, have some specimens of that. But uh, yeah, Australia, all over. There's just a whole huge list of areas where you can find it, different mines. So guys, I think that's going to about wrap it up. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, for liking, for subscribing. Get hooked up with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.